Hold on, hold on. Is this okay, Chris? Is my window open too bright? Are you blinded? Can you see me? Is this okay? Does this work for you? Uh, Eugene, I, I think I'm uh, blinded by the light right now. Should we just like call it a day? Should we just postpone this and pick it up maybe on Thursday? I think that's the only way to do it unless you have uh, some form of curtain with uh, some duct tape. I think that's the uh, only way we can go about this. Hold on, everybody. We're going to put this show on a 55-minute pause to get this resolved. Uh, we're not actually going to do that. But what a day. What a day. What a weekend. I'm Eugene Rappé. He's Chris Danziel. And welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Sun's out, gun's out. We got the sunglasses on. Ironically, I think it's snowing, or it's supposed to snow today. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not a weatherman. But, Chris, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. But what I have seen before is a Villanova win. That I've seen many, many times. Especially this year. Yeah, especially over Providence, too. We'll get into the individual performances and team-wide takeaways. But, I mean, how do you not talk about the stupidity of the year? <laughs> Like, you could tell Jay was ready to drop kick everybody on that Providence bench <laughs> and the referees. See, that, yeah, that mask could not hide his discontent with the whole situation. No, 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 <laughs> no one was happy, including myself. Where you know, just, just sitting there and trying to enjoy a game, and and it gets disrupted for for no good reason. Now, look, would I probably had complained if I were Providence too, just like as like some gamesmanship type stuff. Yeah, probably. But at the same time, where did that even come from? Like, Villanova <laughs> has played plenty of day games before around this time of year. I'm pretty sure of that. I think we both looked it up. I think probably the, the – like, we went to the first year the Finn was open, and we found one against St. Joe's. It was a 2 o'clock game in, like, December. Yeah, you did, Chris. I give you credit for digging that one up. December 8, 2018, 2 p.m. tip-off against St. Joe's. I decided to one up that, dive into the farmer's almanac, and Chris, you know what you know what the, you know what it said for that day? Uh, sunny. Yeah, clear, zero precipitation, one hundred percent visibility, no problem. So I don't know what happened there. That I don't. Know. <laughs> that that's so weird. Like, all right, look, like we can get mad at Providence all we want for that, but like at the yeah, same time, not, like how yeah, does that exactly. happen? Yeah, exactly. It's not so much. I just thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And not to mention, Villanova was shooting on that basket for the whole entire first half. Right. Like, was it there and we just didn't know it? Like, has it always been there and we just didn't know? Or did, like, Providence point this out? Or was this, like, just somehow, some way, like, the, literally the stars aligned for that Yeah, Yeah, we, we to, uh, to the 15-minute window where it's just peak sun blast through that window came through. But, no, it was just so bizarre. Who would have thought? we pay all this money, renovation, beautiful arena, and we got stopped, not for a leaky roof, but because of a sunny window. That window, yeah. too, it was just, you know, it had so much air time. The main, shout it, out to the maintenance crew, too. Yeah, they were doing a great job. Whoever was on that ladder, 10 out of 10 job. He's eating a Philly cheesesteak. He's enjoying himself. He gets called in on his day off. He was probably so sad. <laughs> Yeah, he he was not expecting any type of game action. I, that reminds me of the time I think I think it was the college football playoff. Oh yeah, the championship where yep. they had to replace the turf like in the middle of the game. Uh, that was funny. Like and that guy got like so much airtime and got memed to death. Of course. Yeah, if there were fans in attendance, that guy would have gotten the biggest shout out ever. But he saved oh, the day yeah. because it looked like Providence was re ready to wait three hours before the game resumed. They did. They were going to do everything in their power. 
But your point about the Finugene, you know, it might be brand new, but it still lives on in spirit. You know, <laughs> problems. That, yeah, that, <laughs> no matter where you go. <laughs> but despite the uh, sun delay, and Eugene, we uh, had a fun conversation uh, before we got on air about how there has been uh, various amounts of, of uh, times where random stuff like that would happen to stop another team's momentum, most notoriously in the Super Bowl back in uh, 2000. 12 well, officially played in 2013 where the Superdome just magically, you know, lost all its power or half of its power. And it basically changed the outcome of that, not the outcome of the game, but the, the course of that game. And this, this had a little bit of that vibe, Eugene, a little bit, a little bit of that vibe. But at the end of the day, Villanova walks away with a dub and it was a nice little win for the weekend. 71 to 56 victory. It was definitely tight, especially in that first half. Villanova couldn't buy a bucket. Providence getting out in front, but the Wildcats defense was able to hang in there, help Villanova trim the lead, keep it minimal, keep the game within reach. Then in the second half, in typical classic Villanova fashion, all the shots start hitting. The defense still tough. Nova starts putting together a run. Jermaine Samuels, big boy slams. I was ju- I jumped out of my, my bed. I jumped out of my chair. That was insane. And it, not only did he do it once, but twice. A little one-two punch in the second half to really just fuel that run, keep the Cats going. They pulled away at the end. It was definitely a little too close for comfort, which we expected. Classic Villanova-Providence, a rock fight. You look at the Villanova side, four Cats in double figures with Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore leading the way with 15 points apiece. Gillespie did a great job facilitating six assists, only one turnover. Moore had five turnovers, but he, he still had a solid all-around game. Caleb Daniels, 12 points. Jermaine Samuels, as we mentioned, double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a little cold on the offensive end, only nine points on 4 of 11 shooting. But I thought he was key in getting Nate Watson out of sync and not letting him get too comfortable. On the Providence side, you had Allen Breed, unranked recruit coming in, cracked his way into the starting lineup. Had a great game for them, to be honest. 18 points, 11 boards. We did not highlight him enough. But the key thing was Villanova kept the Friars 1-2 tandem of Duke and Watson in check. Only 12 points for Nate Watson. Only two boards for the big man. And then David Duke, yeah, he had a double-double. 10 points, 11 rebounds. Didn't feel like it because he shot 4 of 17 on the floor. And overall, once those guys were out and Breed started to slow down a little bit in the second half, Villanova was able to get comfortable. Shots started dropping. Chris, what did you think of this game? What ran through your mind as this whole thing was going on after the sun delay? <laughs> well, before the sun delay, there was uh, thoughts of a lot of clouds. Yeah, a lot of clouds, lot of not clouds. happy. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> maybe some sadness, rain, and all that stuff. But it was very, very reminiscent of last year's game at at Villanova, where just both teams just couldn't hit shots, but it just felt like Providence was just going to hang in there and. Just chip away until Villanova just, you know, eventually just gave in and Providence makes one more shot and there you go. That's the game. That's kind of what happened last year, a game in the 50s. That's what that's where it was trending for the first half. No offensive creativity on Villanova's side. I will say it was better than last year in the respect that I felt like some of the shots early on were just not falling. I didn't think it was so much of a force job pretty much and they were just it was like good defense by Providence I think it was a little bit of both 
So I was like, I so I kind of felt a little bit better going to the second half. I was like, all right, they'll they'll find the rhythm and they'll eventually make up for it. But we're gonna need some guys to step up here. And then that's exactly what happened. So the fact that they got on that little run, like to start basically to start the half and just basically didn't look back. Like once that happened, I knew the game was pretty much over. It seems pretty apparent Providence just does not have the offensive firepower. And when David Duke's going four seventeen from the field. Uh, that's a problem for them. They're not going to win many games. And Nate Watson, like, you look at his stat line, and I know you read the points, Eugene, 12 points, but, like, his stat line is 5 of 10 from the field. You're like, oh, 50%. That's, you know, that's pretty good. You take that if you're Providence. But it just – he was I, – I honestly, I completely forgot he was even playing in this game. He was a complete non-factor for pretty much most of the game. Obviously, Breed was the, probably the one that I was most scared of, most scared of going throughout this game. But – you know, at the end of the day, you 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 play as probably as bad as the first half as you probably could. Shout out to the Packers for replicating that performance as well this weekend. But the second half, they almost dropped a fifty burger, and that just like you know, you just kind of forget about the first half after after a performance like that. Sure, it's a little bit worrisome, like going forward, like oh, you know, if you play a bad first half again, you might not be able to replicate that second half performance like you did on Saturday. However, when you're playing like that in the second half, it's easy to kind of forget about anything that was going bad. Uh, to your point, Eugene, Jermaine looked great towards the end. Not exactly the best stat line, three of nine from the field, but he did put up a double-double. Uh, Colin hit some big-time threes when it was looking very bleak from beyond the arc uh, for the team. Even Caleb Daniels was stepping up, like, despite his uh, like kind of ineffectiveness the past c- a couple games. So – yeah, and they're doing all this with uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl completely forgetting how to play, getting mo- getting the talent zapped out of them like the Monstars uh, for the past couple games. So I, I gotta say, I'm I'm overall happy with the performance. Not 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 too worried. Yeah, exactly. With the way that that second half went, and just the defensive effort on Duke and Watson all throughout. Like I know it wasn't the greatest scoring game for Robinson Earl, and it hasn't. He hasn't had that rhythm he hasn't been able to find a scoring touch since that COVID shutdown happened but he was great on defense like you mentioned Chris five for ten I, I would have never guessed he had the ball that many times because he had JRE drawing charges not letting him get positioning down low in the paint he was a real non-factor and he didn't even make his point on the glass and we know that his rebounding and his ability to create second chance opportunities has given Villanova some hard times especially last year not a factor this time around Colin Gillespie, that three before the half. Give you a little flash of that. That little Brady touchdown pass before the half, right, Chris? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? I'm sorry. It's 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 still fresh. fresh. (laughs) Uh, For for those who don't know, Chris is a diehard Packer fan. Uh, His whole family is filled with Packer fans. So say a prayer for Chris. Uh, unfortunately, Big Bad Brady got the best of his Packers. But no, 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 no. The Big Bad Tampa Bay defense got the best <laughs> of the Packers. Let's let's get the narrative right, Eugene. Don't, <laughs> don't fall into it. But all right, this is turning into a Packers podcast. Look, back back to back to the uh, happy happy times with Villanova. Right. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody just say a quick prayer for Chris. But uh, at least uh, you do. get to join us in the loser circle, right next to the Giants and the Eagles. Yeah, that's exactly where the Woo-hoo! Packers belong. <laughs> that's exactly where the Packers belong. <laughs> right next to those <laughs> wonderful organizations. Hey, but hey, both of them have won Super Bowls more recently than the Green Bay Packers. So I, I can't, I can't say anything. 
Yeah, it's okay. At least we got Villanova basketball to look forward yeah. to. Yeah. Hopefully we can get through a season. That's all I care about. Exactly. So, just, but, yeah, get... back, back to the game, though. The yeah. second half, I mean, I just want to say, when Jermaine Samuels had those two dunks and he was hyping himself up, I was like, that's what I like to – big, bad Jermaine. Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> was getting hyped, and I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. You did. You're the man. You're the man. You're the man. It was so cool because it's – I think I've mentioned it a couple of times that, like, you just – you don't really see a lot of rim rocking dunks from this team in the past and kind of seeing him kind of like blossom into that just suddenly this year. I mean, he's had a couple in the past as well, but like this year it seems to be a little bit more apparent and it's, it's, it's fun. Those are fun. Do that more often. Yeah. And especially we know Samuels, he, his confidence throughout his career has been kind of up and down, but to see him just feeling himself in those moments and getting the team going. Oh, beautiful sight, beautiful sight. It is. And, as we discussed last episode, we were kind of speculating, will Jermaine kind of have a follow-up, a good follow-up performance to his big game Jermaine-type game against Seton Hall? And like I said, the stat line doesn't necessarily suggest that. But if you, uh, if you looked at it, if you watched that entire game, it, it kind of felt like that. It was a spiritual successor. I wouldn't say it was an exact successor, but it was a pretty good follow-up performance for uh, big game Jermaine there. That one dunk where he put the Providence defender in a body bag, that to me was worth 25 points alone. <laughs> and then the second one, right off an inbounds play. How often yes. does that happen? That was Never. that was another 15 right there. Yeah. For Villanova, that should be counted as like four points. <laughs> off, an in, off an inbounds for increased difficulty. Kind of want to just also highlight one more person. Uh, I think Cole Swider had a pretty underrated game, all yes. things considered. Yes. I, he, I he, think did, he did his job. He filled in. He did his job, and he didn't get – torched he didn't he wasn't Kevin King on defense you know just getting torched by everyone on offense he, he, he did his job defensively which is a big struggle for him as we've seen so far this year and even offensively he was able to contribute with like five points and he had a pretty long three I think for one he yeah did that was hit. a deep one yeah it was and then he had a I believe it was a mid-range two off a nice feed from Daniels, maybe? I'm not 100% sure, but it, it was a nice little bench performance that I think kind of goes under the radar because, you know, let's say he doesn't hit those shots, you know, maybe they, they fall right back into the Providence muck it up type game. And then also defensively, obviously you hold Providence at 56 points. That's a great job. And I know I just said Providence doesn't have a lot of firepower, offensive firepower, it seems like. However, Eugene, you mentioned last episode, turnovers. Providence, one of the best uh, teams at keeping the ball not turning it over 19 turnovers for the Friars this past game. That's, yep, that's really a staggering number. Duke accounted for six of them. Even Watson accounted for four of them. I mean, when your two top guys are accounting for more than 50% of your turnovers, not good, not good, but credit to the Villanova defense there for forcing those mistakes. Yep. And not only that, they scored 17 points off those 19 turnovers. And you look at the margin, Right there, that's 15-point margin, 17 points off turnovers. That was also a big help, especially in the second half, as Nova just started to lock down and buckle down on both ends of the court. But great game all around. We've seen it so many mm -hmm. times. The second half comeback or Villanova turning it on. Chris, how do we trick this team to thinking the second half starts maybe 20 minutes earlier? I don't know. <laughs> it's They got to have, like, a clock in there that's just – it's Jay Wright time, you know, it's always 20 minutes behind. So now 
you got to just adjust for that, and there you go. That's, that's why they start. They're always a little bit of a slow start. Just tell the scoreboard guy to just leave it on 2H constantly. <laughs> Don't even change it. If that helps them mentally, and I bet you they'll come out and say that it does if, at some point. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I mean, last year I think it was probably the only year where they kind of delineated from the second half uh, glow-ups, I guess you can say. But this year we're right back to it, and it's, it's fun knowing that your team is just basically guaranteed to come out in one half and just light the world on fire. Yeah, that first half was rough. What were they shooting, like 26% or something like that? It was not it's, pretty. If it, if it was 26%, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> it did not feel like it whatsoever. So next up for the Cats is a game against UConn, which was rescheduled for Thursday, 9 p.m. Because it's on Thursday and at 9, we're going to hold off the preview on that and the weekend game against Heaton Hall for next time on Thursday's episode. But for now, Chris, I just want to take a quick look at the polls. Villanova, still number three. The top three hasn't budged at all. Your top three, Gonzaga, Baylor, Nova, unsurprising there. A little movement in the top 10 there as Iowa lost, and you have Virginia back up in the top 10. Bama, too. Shout out to Javon Cornell and Jelly Fam. They are now in the top 10. But, Chris, what sticks out to you about this week's polls? Not too much Big East representation. I mean, you got Creighton still. They took a loss, so they dropped a little bit. But UConn is out. Uh, what sticks out to me is that Javon Quinterly in Alabama is in the top 10. Like, that that was going to be my takeaway. You took it away from me. Basketball school, I, football school. I don't know. It's Javon Quinterly's world, and we're all just living in it right now. I think that's what it comes down to. The Alabama but, Quinterly Todd. <laughs> uh, props to him. Props to him and Alabama for actually stepping up. But, yeah, I, I think we kind of failed to acknowledge when we discussed the polls last time just a couple of Monday results from the Big East squads. Creighton, I believe, lost that Monday to Pro- – oh, actually, no, they didn't lose that Monday. They actually ended up losing that Wednesday to Providence, like we said. So they, they kind of took a little bit of a tumble, but then they beat UConn, who uh, I think – They were dang, still like, missing. They were like 23, 24. Yeah, but they're, they're still missing book night, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they – that was the Monday result we kind of failed to acknowledge that they – UConn had lost to St. John's earlier in the week. So you knew they, they were out regardless of what they probably did against Creighton, honestly. So, yeah, it's kind of crappy to see that, you know, UConn falling by the wayside mainly because of the book night injury. Also, Xavier was kind of flirting with the top 25, and they're just in the receiving votes section. But, yeah, that, that's pretty much my, my main takeaways. Also, Kansas is, like, finally yeah. out of the top 10 after losing 15 say. in a row. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they took another loss, and I was like, oh, look, Chris. Oh, they only dropped them six slots. But you already know, if that was another team with five losses, they're they're falling way deep. They'd probably be out of the polls. <laughs> I mean, Kansas had a really bad week. They, they I mean, yeah, they lost to Baylor in a like, semi-close one. Like, I know Baylor's good, but whatever. And then you go on, again on the road to Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma hasn't been good since Buddy Heald was uh, on that team. And Trey Young. Well, but yeah, uh, not as good. Yeah, not as good as that Buddy Hill team. Cause it was no, no, no. Ball. That's a fair point. I completely yeah. forgot about that. But even that, that Trey Young team, weren't they like a 7, 8, or 9? Like, they are one of those mid-seeds. They were a 7, and I believe they played Rhode Island, who was a 10. Yeah. Or it was, or it was vice versa. Forget, I forget how that went. But they were in for this whole purpose. I remember the, at the, the time, the whole point was that they were in because of Trey Young. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway... Bad performance by Kansas, so glad they're finally out of the top ten and deserve, and they are where they deserve to be. But other than that, that's it. It drives Chris crazy every year, especially around tournament time. Kansas could have 12 losses, and then you'll have the talking heads go, 
Does Kansas deserve a second seed? And everyone goes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah why not? They played a tough schedule. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. The w- most egregious example was that Wiggins and MB team. Oh, that, my God. They had to – I legitimately – like, we joke about it. Like, we're being, like, exaggerating – we're exaggerating a bit when we say, like, oh, yeah, they've lost, like, five in a row or whatnot. But, like, that team actually, I believe, lost ten games and they were a two seed. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was like, yeah, they're a lock. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? And then they promptly got destroyed, I believe it was by Stanford in the second yeah. round. I believe it was. So they deserve that. But God forbid another team losing the round of 32, but when Nova loses in the round of 32, we won't hear the end of it. No. Oh, God, God forbid. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we could have a whole episode about how Kansas has had a worse track record than Villanova in the tournament in recent memory, but. A lot of these other, uh, you could say a lot of these other quote-unquote blue bloods as well. Mm. But we get the, the notoriety because because of the memes, really. That's why. Quote-unquote new Big East. New Big East, too, as well. Yeah, you're right. Hater's going to hate, but Nova and Jay Wright's going to keep on rolling. Yep. And one last thing, too, Chris. I just want to say, Colin Gillespie, I don't know if you saw, but he was named to the 2021 Bob Cousy Award. for the. He's a top 10 finalist, and the Bob Cousy Award is an award given to the best point guard in college basketball each year. But to see Gillespie in the top 10, it's like that meme. Uh, who was that? God, it's his name is escaping me. But the one where uh, they're like, oh, look at us. Who would have thought we would have been here? <laughs> oh, oh, I think it was Paul Rudd. Yeah, yeah, when he was on Hot Ones. Hot Ones, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's – hey, look uh, – Big testament to him and how he's, you know, developed into the type of player he is from basically unranked recruit, no-name guy outside of, you know, the immediate Philly area. You didn't really hear much about him. Comes in and steps up big his freshman year in a very limited role. Sophomore year takes on a bigger role and does pretty well. Last year we saw how what good he was doing before the pandemic hit. And now this year he's picked up right where he left off and has probably been even a little bit better. So – you know, props to him for, you know, kind of riding that wave and props to Jay and the staff for developing him into a bona fide top end point guard. Who who else is on that list? Do you, do you happen to know? Yeah, I got you. We got yeah. Jared Butler out of Baylor, McKinley Wright out of Colorado, Marcus Zagorowski, which I didn't even know he counted as a point guard, but okay. Yeah. Oh. Creighton, uh, Scotty Barnes out of Florida State, Jalen Suggs, <laughs> big man out of Gonzaga. Io DeSunmu from Illinois, Carly Jones out of Louisville, Marcus Carr in Minnesota, and Kate Cunningham, Oklahoma State. So a lot of elite talent mm. or a lot of talent that the draft boards and mock drafts are hyping up. So it's a great company to be in. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I was surprised I didn't hear Kate Cunningham until the last one. I was going to be like, how how did he not make it? I feel like the Twitter mob would be after everybody if they, he wasn't on that list. But uh, that's a uh, star-studded list. Colin Gillespie's on the same list as Kate Cunningham, who was probably who was the top end top recruit coming out of college. I mean, a lot coming out of college, coming out of high school. Yeah, and- yeah, he was the number one, I think, and or he was definitely on also everyone's number one or number two on the mock drafts as well. Right. So this guy's going, yeah, he's going top two regardless of what happens this year. And Colin Gillespie's right there with him. Now, look, I understand Colin's a senior; he's a freshman. I get it, but they're on the same list. They're in the same same thing, though. Not not too shabby for a unranked recruit, yeah. local recruit. And this guy has won many hearts in the Nova Nation because, as everyone can remember and point out, when he first came in, everyone was like, "Who is this guy?" 
<laughs> it was like, wait, whoa, 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 I thought we were supposed to get elite talent, blah, blah, blah. And first, <laughs> we were there too. We were like, uh, who is this guy? Uh, right. two, two star? One star? Two star? And then all of a sudden you hear the stories how he's dropping 45 points or 40-piece buckets in high school playoff games, a quaddy green and other elite talent. You're like, okay, maybe, all right. But then just the way that he's grown and improved, leaps and bounds with each passing year. I was on the love train. I was on the bandwagon as of last year. I think that was when he fully won me over. But it's great to just see him continue to raise the roof and raise the ceiling here because he's been playing some phenomenal basketball this season and pretty much, I would say, even towards the end of last season as well. Yeah, he's definitely kept up his high level of play. It's been very consistent. Very few dips, if any, this year. I mean, I think he kind of started off a little bit slow, but then he picked it right back up. So I, I can't, I can't, I haven't really complained about him at all this year, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, he's, most he's been very good. Keeping together that Lagardeu legacy. Of course, always important. Seamless tra- transition of power between you know Arch to Jalen to, I guess Phil Booth, and then him. Pretty, pretty, pretty good line of point guards right there. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod. Chris, we've got a few here. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. This question is from KMAC, Nova Hoops 0304. Channeling the board to play in the Big East tournament or not to play in the Big East tournament? That is the question. KMAC says, I hope they play. Jerry Quinn chimed in and said, right thing to do is not play the Big East tournament. Need to focus on March Madness. However, I doubt we pull out of the Big East tournament due to money they'll make on TV revenue. This is a very interesting topic because I saw the New York Post and a lot of other columnists and writers out there have weighed in on this. And on one hand, when you have the NCAA who says in order to participate in the NCAA tournament, you have to test negative for seven consecutive days, which, Chris, we talked about before. And for some reason, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> the, the symptoms can show up for 14 days. There's a 14 day window. Why is right. it only seven? So I don't know how it works in regards because they still want to have the conference tournaments at all the same time. So I'm not sure based on the calendar what the NCAA has in mind. But Chris, do we plan the Big East tournament or do we not plan the Big East tournament? Yeah, I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't. I didn't even know this was going to be an issue. And now that it's brought to my attention, I still don't have, see how it's going to be an issue. <laughs> it's, it just that would just seem a little weird, you know. And I mean, look, Villanova's probably getting in the tournament regardless. So I guess if you're going from that standpoint, that if you drop out, you're going to make it anyway. Like I get it, but I don't. I don't get why we would drop out. Like why? What would? What would be the benefit of dropping out? Yeah, I think the thing is, is because of this guidance from the NCAA requiring the seven day testing is relatively new. I think it was just made official last week, so a lot of people are just weighing in on topics like that. I'm curious to see what the Big East, because I know Val Ackerman has kind of been ahead of the curve and been pretty responsible when it comes to dealing with this or setting guidelines and things like that. So I think I'd have to see what she has in mind leading up to the Big East tournament because we've seen it. I mean, Nova experienced it. Lots of, I think every other team in the Big East has experienced it at least once, but there's been COVID shutdowns, COVID pauses. And I I just want to know how you kind of, because the bubble situation, I feel like, would be pretty easy for the Big East tournament. Yeah, However, I think that's the way to leading go. Leading into it is like, what do you do? But I think it could definitely be played in a bubble situation. Yeah, just do that. I, I, would, I don't really see how that would be 
hard. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because I'm not privy to the logistics behind these things, but like I don't understand how that would be a problem. Just do a bu- mini bubble again. That's fine. The Paul's the Paul's only going to be there for like a day or two, so it'll be gone. You can <laughs> free up the room right right immediately. It's fine. So yeah, just do that. But I, I get like I get what Jerry's saying too. Like I, I guess I, I'm assuming money would be involved, and we oh, all money, money talks. Involved. Yeah. So I I doubt they pull out just because of that. Yeah, that would be pretty pretty dumb if they were to do that, missing out on even more potential revenue. They should do it TBT basketball style where they make both teams show up with their bags packed, and the second you lose, you're forced to exit the arena. <laughs> it, I don't hate that idea. I, I kind of like it. It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, win or go home, literally. <laughs> literally. Hop on the bus and get transported out of there. If you stay, you get a nice uh, – you get lodged up in Madison Square Garden or something. I don't know. <laughs> Next question is from Matt Berger. He wants to know any updates on Cosby Roundtree and his status going forward, and how many of the seniors can you see coming back for an extra season next year? This is a little tough because it's kind of like the Hmm. NBA draft question where if you ask anybody what do you think your plans are, they're going to give you the standard answer. They're going to say, oh, you know, my my mind or I'm focused on this upcoming game or this season, and whatever happens, happens. But right now, just focus on this year. So we're never going to get a straight answer. But, Chris – how many guys do you see coming back for those who don't know? And as we've learned this year, technically doesn't count towards anybody's eligibility. If we really want to, we can run it back with everybody. However, that doesn't seem plausible or there's a chance people go, but Chris, how many seniors do you see coming back? Yeah, it's kind of hard to judge right now. I know it's a cop-out answer, but I would obviously love them all back. I mean, that would be pretty cool to have like super senior Colin, super senior Jermaine. That would help a lot for next year, especially since like probably Jerry is probably gone. But I know with like all the scholarships and all, I'm not exactly sure of the math behind all of it. But I'm assuming they're going to need to free up some scholarship spots, so they might feel like, hey, Jermaine, you might want to, might want to go, <laughs> give give him a little kick out the door. Uh, same thing to Colin, even maybe. But as of right now, I I don't, I don't know. I can maybe they both maybe they both return. I, I honestly can't give a definitive answer on that. I would love to have them both back, but I I don't see it happening. I don't know if either of Colin or Jermaine is going to get any kind of NBA play, at least as of right now. So they might not be too inclined to go, but I can still see them being like, "Hey, I want to go in into the real world and go play professional here." So I don't think either of them come back. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of it will probably depend on whether or not the NBA draw, the NBA mock drafts or the buzz around them come March Madness time, whatever can help change it or play it in their favor happens. So if they don't have the buzz or if they don't have that draft guarantee, I can see them coming back. I can see DCR want to come back just because this year was a little hampered and now he'll get a second chance. So yeah. in my mind, if he's healthy – which he should be, I would hope, by next year. He'll definitely be back. And I know they did bump up the scholarship limit just so everyone can take on all this roster space. So maybe that helps as well. However, yeah, it's just hard to judge. It'll really depend on how much NBA buzz they can pick up from now until then. And you have Colin Gillespie, Bob Cousy Award candidate. Who knows? Who knows? All it takes is one big tournament run. One of these guys is going to get some NBA play. You know, yeah. It. yeah, you become a March Madness darling, and then all of a sudden, boom, drafted. I kind of overlooked DCR there because I thought we were we were gonna we would talk about him with his injury 
update. I don't know if you have one to provide there, but he's 100% staying. I don't foresee him leaving at all. I think he comes back for sure, unless he wants to transfer for whatever reason. I'm not saying he's thinking that whatsoever. I'm just saying unless he wants to transfer, I don't see him not coming back. Yeah, if he's healthy, I could see him. Like, he's definitely going to come back. He's coming back, yeah. Yeah. But in regards to his status for his health, still under wraps with Jay. Nothing yet. Nothing definitive or timetable-wise. However, I did see that his next-door neighbor in the locker room is Trey Patterson, which is pretty cool. Getting some veteran freshman mentorship there. The next question is from Shawnice. When will we see Brian Antoine on the court? Everybody's favorite question. (laughs) I'm guessing the UConn game, honestly, from what it sounds like. And I've gotten this question in my DMs and even my LinkedIn mail, which – I've never used before until this week, but people asking me about Brian Antoine this, Brian Antoine that. He's been back in practice. He's actually been back since the Marquette week, so December that week of December 23. However, with the COVID pause and with Brian Antoine's limited practice time, Jay has made it sound like he's definitely easing him back in, but he's healthy, which is a great sign. I just think he needs more practices under his belt, and I would be surprised if we start to see him this weekend or maybe in the UConn game at the earliest. But, yeah, not yeah. rushing him. Let him sit for the first two games back from the pause. I think we're going to start seeing him a little bit. Yeah, I think you definitely see him this weekend with kind of a quick turnaround between Thursday and Saturday. I, I would And just coming off a COVID layoff, I would assume that Jay's not going to want to run these guys into the ground. Also, you've I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, you hope that one of these games, specifically the UConn game, can be a little bit of a comfortable win where you can kind of get those guys that rest. And I think that'll be a perfect opportunity for Brian Antoine to see the court. I don't know what game it is. I don't know if it's the UConn or the Seton Hall game, depending on how the minutes shake out and how, you know, if they, how these, these guys respond to playing two games in 72 hours. So uh, we'll see with that, but I definitely believe you see him this weekend. Yeah, and if not, I can see the St. John's game on February 3rd just because I know St. John's hasn't been so hot. But the DePaul game, February 9th, I think we see it there. Who knows? But it should be soon. Yeah, it's got to be. And if it doesn't, if it's not soon, then I don't, I don't know what you do with him then. Next question is from John Palmay. Caleb Daniels' aggressiveness on the floor. What are your thoughts? Good, bad, both, neither? By the way, that's the first coast-to-coast attempt unsuccessful in this case, I can remember since Scotty Reynolds. Well, I remember Tony Chenault had a coast-to-coast against Marquette, but that Marquette, was yeah. waved off over a questionable blocking <laughs> foul. He could have been the hero, too. I remember that game. I think that was 2014. It was. And the game ended up going to overtime, Villanova won, so it was all hunky-dory, but Tony Chenault could have been the hero there. They ran Nova. Yeah, that should have counted. Still... I, I completely forgot about that. Thank you for jarring my memory and making me even more upset than what I am, Eugene. Thank I, you. I just remember being so, so upset. So upset. Right. Jumping around, and then all of a sudden you see the ref come out, waving it off. Jay's ready to fight everybody on the floor. <laughs> Javon Pinkston's holding him back. Never seen anything like that in my life. But I was like, yeah, Jay, beat him up. Beat him all up. <laughs> yeah, I would have been I would have been for that. Would have been worth the 15 technicals, but it would have been worth it. The, the um, Yeah, and also considering, you know, Tony Chenault didn't really score all that much, so to kind of see him hit that game winner would have been a nice little story. But to John's question, Caleb Daniels' aggressiveness, I, we've discussed this before, sort of, in the sense that it always seems like he, he, he's definitely taking, like, one or two charges on the offensive end, 
a, a game. And that's certainly hurting. But I, I kind of like it. It shows that you're, you're at least trying to attempt to get to the rim. And you know what? One of these days, the refs are just not going to call it. You got to hope so. And, I mean, you got to be a little bit more subtle because a lot of his offensive uh, fouls, they're, they're pretty clear. He gives a little forearm shimmy, ducks his shoulder into him. But I keep saying, he's a big dude. He's a big dude and a strong dude. And he's going to have these guys flying across the gym. So I, I actually like it. I like the aggressiveness of it. Sure, it has its negative connotations with it being A, a foul, and B, giving the ball back. But for, like, right now, in a non-crucial situation against, like, Providence and Seton Hall, I like it. Maybe not in March if we're playing in a tight game and then he does that on a critical possession. But as of right now, I'm, I'm for it because eventually maybe they'll start playing off and they don't want to get hit and he'll actually be able to get to the rim without uh, that much of an issue. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it, especially as we know Villanova loves to shoot him up sleep in the streets. But it's a it's a nice little fold or it's a nice little wrinkle that is a little bit different from what everybody's used to. So I'm all for the aggressiveness. I'm all for the slashing. And yeah, don't get me wrong, he can shoot it too. But I like the drives. I like the the toughness there. He is too big, Chris, and unfortunately, when you go to the weight room, he makes some of these other guys look little, and I know the refs, as soon as they see contact or a guy on the floor, they're going to they're gonna feel inclined <laughs> to blow the whistle there. Yeah. But uh, I don't think he does anything wrong. He's just too strong, too big, too much yeah, weight room, too much shack fit, too much shack fit. That's what it comes down to, really. He's got to stop lifting. <laughs> Less protein no, no, shakes. Yeah. <laughs> Less steak dinners and all that stuff. No, 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 no. Keep it up, Caleb. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Next question is from Jerry Quinn. He's got a few here. First one, status on Caleb. Has he fully recovered? I'd guess so. He was cleared, I know, to return and same with Jermaine Samuels. It seems like Jermaine Samuels, though, is hitting the post-COVID break a lot better and harder than Caleb Daniels is. But no doubt in my mind, Daniels will hopefully pack a little bit more of a punch. But he's been playing pretty well overall. Yeah, he had a solid game against Providence. A little slow out of the gate against Seton Hall, like you said, Eugene, but He's still trucking guys over when he's driving to the basket, so he, he seems to be fine. Yeah, yeah. Between that and his calf injury, looking good, looking good. Well, COVID and his calf injury, I should say. And the next question, Justin Moore, is he going to be NBA ready by the end of the season? How can we keep him at VU? Chris, Justin Moore, I remember from the 2K Classic and Bubbleville, a lot of people were hyped. They were thinking, oh, man, this guy may make the jump at the rate he's playing. And well-deserved. He, he was playing very well. All-tournament team. All-Bubbleville, in my eyes. I don't know. I don't know. Right now on mock drafts, he's not really listed anywhere. I did see one site. I don't, I'm not sure how credible they are. I didn't really recognize them. But they said that they predict him as a second-round pick maybe next year. I don't know about that. Maybe he might be even better. But to me, he felt like it's, it's one more year away. Yes, we sit here in January. I happen to agree with you there. Barring a big late season rush and just pop off in like a tournament similar to kind of what Dante did in 2018, I don't really see him doing getting drafted. Like maybe he might declare and do like the whole process thing. But I know with COVID now it's a little bit trickier. But maybe he'll declare, go through the process, and then the next thing you know, he'll be like, all right, I'm back. And then he'll be fine next year, and then he'll probably get drafted after that. So, that, yeah, I kind of agree with you on, on his trajectory there. Yeah, and with it being second round, according to that one mock draft I looked, I don't see him leaving early just for a second round. I feel like he's going to try to play his way up a little bit. And 
as we can tell, I mean, this guy, he's got the game. He's he's mature for his age, and he can score, and the NBA will love that. For sure, yeah. You know, it, it, it again, with the COVID situation, I think it's a little bit tricky to say, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to come back even if he's getting a second-round grade. Like, you just never know nowadays. But I, I happen to agree with you. I think he'd be back if that was the case. Like, low second-round grade, like, I'm pretty sure he'd be back. I mean, you see all the horror stories with some of these guys declaring early and going undrafted and just floating around in obscurity for the rest of the rest of their career. Yeah, like look at Tyshawn Alexander. That was a guy we were really high on mm-hmm. and loved in the Big East, and he went early last year. And where did he go? Like fifty eighth or fifty six, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And now he's on the Suns G League or two way contract. Right. And no disrespect to Justin Moore, but Tyshawn Alexander was a Big East Player of the Year candidate. Like, and he's that's where he was, you know, for in, in terms of getting drafted. So I, I think Justin Moore's got a little bit, a little bit longer before he can reach a uh, high second round, first round grade. Yeah, still very early because, like you said, Chris, we don't know what can happen in March. And if he pops off, there's a very big chance that. See ya. You know, yeah, exactly. Like you look <laughs> at some many examples time and time again of people who just become heroes of March. And then they ride the buzz, ride the wave, and they get drafted pretty high or get drafted. And I'm sure Dante DiVincenzo went into the NCAA tournament. Maybe he was like, oh, I'm going to test the waters, probably come back. But then with that NCAA championship performance, come on. Yeah. Come on. You, you had to go. Yeah. And that that and his even... vertical video. Yeah, he was gone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the vertical video. I forgot all about that. And now he's probably in the best situation of, like, all Villanova players. Yeah, starting on a very good team alongside an MVP player. Yeah, doesn't doesn't hurt to have Giannis next to you. And the fans love you. That too, yeah. They they refuse to give him up. Even when they traded for Bogdanovich and he was part of that deal, they were yeah. not happy. Yeah, the fake Kings trade and then all the pitchforks, well, virtual pitchforks <laughs> because COVID <laughs> yeah. came out. But, yeah, Jerry, to answer your question, I think he comes back. I think we can keep him, barring any insane March performance. I think he'll be back next year. But his junior year, though, after next year, I, I think he'll be a little bit more of a viable NBA candidate. But I, I do think he comes back for at least one more year. And the last one from Jerry Quinn, Sun Glare. Can we have any more freak things happen at the Finn? Was that window added during the most recent renovation? I can't say that that window was not there before. That was definitely new. <laughs> and free things at the Finn. Oh, man. that's Well, that's the first one of the new pavilion. And who would have thought? We've had leaky roofs. We've had a flood right after the postgame buzzer. Mice, reports of mice running around. Not, not in the new pavilion, of course, but in the old one, pre-renovation. Chris, what do you think is going to happen next? Ooh, good question. Um... Well, you've seen a lot, some bat delays in some arenas across college basketball. I think that might be the next thing. I was thinking about that, like a bird or something flies in and then wreaks havoc. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just waiting for it. Not Wildy it, Cat, but a real wildcat prowls and runs around <laughs> the arena. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of stray cats just walk in, set up shop at midcourt right before the game. Something, Something along those lines. Some shady opposing team manager infiltrates a Villanova locker room and steals everyone's jersey before the game. That's another good one. Don't give him any ideas, though. Yeah, I know. 
because you know all opposing team managers are listening to this right now. So don't don't you dare get any ideas. I will say though, with all the shenanigans that have taken place since 2020, definitely did not expect the sun delay. I, I don't think that's ever happened before. It is. It's so funny. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just laugh out loud funny. Like if this was the old pavilion, like I think we would just kind of like, I don't know. I think it would have more. I don't know the right word for it, but it would just be like, be like, oh yeah, typical, you know, laugh it off. But like at the new fin, it's just like, what the heck is Providence complaining about? Like, come on, what are we doing here? <laughs> it did look like a big glare, but I don't know if it was enough to make a big scene out of it. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But when you got to delay a game fifty-five minutes, you got to do it. Was that really how long it was? Jeez. Oh, I thought that's what you said it was. I, I don't know. It felt like 55 minutes. It could have oh. been it, it could have been 10. It felt like 55. No, it was definitely longer than 10. It was enough that they had to cut back to studio and chat for a very oh, long yeah, that, time. Oh, yeah, that I remember. Yeah. I remember. Shout out to Kevin Burkhart for uh, doing a great job on that. Power like baseball, outage? Football, football. Yeah. Like, maybe that, a power outage. Yeah. In the winter, though, you don't get a lot of those. No, you don't. But it would be the next freak accident. <laughs> <laughs> Are, we, Are there any games at the Finn in the early March? Maybe when spring rolling around, maybe it'll be like a random hot day and then the grid's not ready to take all the electricity for all the AC. And the next thing you know, boom, there goes the uh, there goes the power lines and then that's it. Yeah, upgraded Play, everything the dark. the power lines. <laughs> and then when it goes dark, you're going to be wishing that that window was open and having the sun come through. <laughs> One of the banners falls off onto the court. I mean, at this rate, this can all just happen at once. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's Law. Yeah. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Megaphone, Stitcher, Podbean. As you can tell, you got many, many options. Please subscribe, Brett. Right? Five star, five star, five star, five star. Helps keep the mothership happy, and whenever the SB Nation mothership is happy, it's a great time for everybody. Please check back, check off, and at viewhoops.com. We're going to have some content, whether it's your Risen, your Wildcat watches, your game previews, your recaps, or the occasional feature and analytical piece. Have fun, have at it. Also, the comment section is a great time. Follow VU Hoops on social media. You can do so at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And I'm Chris Stanzial. I got nothing. Everybody stay safe out there. Chris, you got to start selling your 10-second window for ad space, man. You got to be I making know. some money off this. I know. Eventually. Freshen. Just camp in the corner. <laughs> just Second hit me story. up in the DMs. Slide into my Twitter DMs. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll remember the password and log in or something. Law School Cafe. <laughs> that, I, I would actually – I'd pay them to do that. Very underrated place on campus. The best kept secret, just because I'm sure 70% of the student body has never experienced it once in their life. Nope. Thank you. Thank you for introducing me to that place, though. Oh, don't thank me. Thank all the athletes who showed me that secret spot. Shout out to Aaron Sandifer, wherever he is, former track and field guy. He was the one who told me about it first. Anyways, Nova Nation, have a great Tuesday. We'll be back at it on Thursday. Have a good one. Take care.